Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, occasionally from time to time, we will have a staff member whose birthday actually falls on a Sunday. And today is Sarah Turner's birthday. Sarah, would you wave at everybody? Man, she's been a valuable, faithful member of our team from the very beginning of our church. I'm so grateful for you. And, uh, and so would you join me and just in the count of three, just yell happy birthday to her. One, two, three, happy birthday. Yeah, Sarah, yeah. We love you, lady. Happy birthday to you. So, so glad that you're here today. Last week, we began a new sermon series called 60 Seconds After You Die. And some of you might say, why in the world are you preaching such a morbid series? Well, one of the reasons why I'm preaching this series is because I believe that what we believe about eternity impacts how we live today. What we believe about eternity impacts how we live today. Another reason is I've had multiple conversations with people and there seems to be some confusion about what happens to us uh, after we die. And so we're diving into this series to talk about that. I came across this series from Pastor Craig Rochelle. Love how he just breaks it down for us. And so we're going to pass some of that along. Last week I talked about three things that happened to us 60 seconds after we die. And the first is obvious, we die. Right, Our physical bodies die. And just so you know, one out of every one person is going to die. And so it's just a fact of life. And secondly, our souls separate from our bodies. And third, at some point, we'll be judged. And so uh, we looked at the great white throne judgment as well as the judgment for followers of Jesus where we'll be rewarded. And last week I closed the message with an illustration that I was hopeful that all of you would understand and, uh, and get all of the details, but I didn't clearly articulate all of the details. And so I had some of you come up to me after service and were like, was that guy really a pastor? Everybody say with me, he was not a pastor. He was not a pastor. All right, some of you who weren't here last week, let me back up. So a few weeks ago, my wife and I were on an airplane. A man two rows in front of us was switching spots with a lady directly in front of us. As they made that exchange, this guy uh, expressed all kinds of vulgarities and then sat there uh, for the rest of the flight and, and, uh, and shared about his business and, uh, and what he does for a living and about anything else that you would never want to know about the person. And, and you're just like, that's what happens when he's drunk and talking loud. Like that's, and so then the next part happened when he needed to go to the restroom on the plane. So he stands up. My wife's on the front row. I didn't fabricate any of the story last week. I'm not fabricating it. This week, he stands up, puts his hand on my head. Yeah. And he says, I'm a pastor. I'm about to read your mind. And I was like, I don't think you're going to like what you, what you read there. And, uh, and so shortly after that, the guy beside me uh, asked me what I do for a living. 
And so I was like, uh, I'm a pastor, but like, really, I'm a pastor, not like I'm a drunk guy on a plane putting hands on people and talking nonsense. So I'm not judging the guy. I mean, a pastor could have a really, 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 really bad day like this guy uh, was having, but I'll just tell you, he wasn't a pastor. Everybody say it with me. He wasn't a pastor. Okay, so if you missed last week, you can go back and, uh, and listen uh, to that. Next week, we're going to look at heaven, and I hope that it'll build your faith and relieve your fears and give you an anticipation as to what's to come. I hope it'll give you an urgency to live for Jesus today. What you believe about eternity impacts how you live today. And so today, we're going to talk about something that's, quite frankly, it's challenging to talk about. We're going to talk about the righteousness of a holy God and the indescribable horrors of hell. Somebody asked me in between services, knowing that I was going to talk about hell today, uh, Al Everline said, are you going to have a blowtorch up on the stage to illustrate it? And I was like, no, God illustrated it for us on Friday. I mean, you know, out, if you just walked outside on Friday, it's an illustrated message right now. I mean, God, thank you for the timing of that heat wave that hit this past week. You know, there is a hotter place, and I tell you, you don't want to go there. So why are we talking about hell? We're talking about hell because if we don't accept the reality of hell, we'll never appreciate the glory of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. If we don't accept the reality of hell, we'll never appreciate the glory of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. And so I pray that today's message will be water for friends in the desert. I pray that it would urge us to live lives with a, with a sense of urgency for the coming of Jesus and for eternity. We're talking about hell because what you believe about eternity determines how you live today. And if you believe that your life is an accident, then you'll live an incredibly selfish life. But if you believe that you were created on purpose, for a purpose, by a good God, for his glory, then it'll change the way that you live today. What you believe about eternity determines how you live today. A survey showed that 74% of Americans believe in heaven. 74% of Americans believe in heaven. That's a strong number. But only four out of 10 people believe that those who do not know Christ will spend an eternity in a place called hell. So 75% believe in heaven, only 40% believe in hell. And if you ask the general public who will go to hell, only half of 1% would say that they're likely to go to hell. In other words, most people, if they do believe in hell, believe it's a place for really, really bad people like murderers and rapists and terrorists, but not them. They think God would never do that to me or most people. Jesus said something that, that might imply otherwise in, in, John, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 13. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. But those who enter by it are many. In other words, he's saying there are a lot of people who are on the wrong path. And in verse number 14, he continues, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Craig Rochelle in a Paul Harvey-esque moment said, I think if I were the devil, I would try to convince you that there is no hell. And if there is, let's not take it seriously. And let's believe that most people would not be going there. If I were the devil and I could convince you of that, then you would probably live however you want. You would justify your sin. You would reject Christ. 
you would live with no real fear of God. If you're a follower of Christ, then I could convince you that hell isn't real or not that important anyway. You would live ridiculously self-centered lives. You would very likely idolize comfort and fall in love with this world. You would reject sacrifice. You would avoid persecution. You would love the world now, and you would not likely share your faith with very many people and have no real sense of spiritual urgency, much the way so many of us live today. He said, if I were the devil, I'd probably try to convince you that there is no hell. And if there is, let's not take it very seriously. This raises an obvious question. If God is so good and so loving, then why does hell exist? Why does hell exist? This morning I'm going to talk about two reasons of why hell exists. And the first is this. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. From the time I was a kid, the devil has been portrayed as this harmless creature in a red jumpsuit with a pitchfork, right? Think about the, commer- not the commercials, the cartoons that many of us watched as kids. You, you've got the angel on one side and you've got this little devil on the other side and one's the battle of good and, you know, try, do this and the other one is trying to get you to do bad. And, and, and I'm just telling you, it's a horrible mischaracterization of the devil, Right, the devil is the embodiment of all evil. And so this morning, I want you to take just a moment and think about the most evil things in this world. Think about the most evil things in this world. The devil is the embodiment of all of that. Behind every addiction is our spiritual enemy. Behind all abuse Behind all fear, behind all pain, all shame, it comes from the prince of darkness. The Bible calls the devil the destroyer, the deceiver, the dragon, the dark angel. He's called your adversary, the tempter, the wicked one, your enemy, and a thief. He's called the father of lies and the prince of darkness, the angel of the abyss. He's the thief that comes to steal your joy, kill your faith, destroy your health, ruin you financially, obliterate your marriage, destroy, or hurt your children. So why does hell exist? Hell exists so that God can righteously deal with the devil, the one that we just described. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 10 says, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. And secondly, hell exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers. This is where it gets complicated. Some would say that just doesn't seem fair. They say things like, my neighbor's a really good person, but they're not a follower of Jesus. And I just can't believe that God would send them to hell. And what's interesting is that the very same people who think that God should never send someone to hell are the very same people that when there's an injustice on the earth, want somebody to pay for it. The very same people are defenders of justice on earth, often argue for a God of love, mercy, and grace without justice. And people today want to remake God in their own image to justify their own lifestyles. They say things like, God is love, right? So he's just going to give a wink towards my sin. I mean, he understands he's holy and righteous and everything, but he's cool with me living the way that I want to live. I mean, you know, he has standards for everyone else except for me. He just lets me live however I want to and will look the other way. 
Here's what we have to understand. It's impossible for God to be holy without him being just. It's impossible for God to be holy without him being just. Hell exists for God to deal righteously for, with those who are dead in their sin and don't know Christ. And the great news of the gospel today is this. None of us have to go to hell. God has provided a way out for us. And so as we talk about the horrors of hell, as we talk about this awful place, none of us have to go there. And the fact that you're here today is the grace of God in your life, that you could hear the gospel message, that you could turn from your wicked ways and be a follower of Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 8, that he will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. This isn't fun to talk about this morning. I'm sure it's not fun to hear about. But if we don't accept the reality of hell, we'll never appreciate the glory of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. I want to try, based off of scripture, to give a glimpse of hell today. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus is telling a story that gives us some insight into what hell might be like. In Luke chapter 16, verse number 19, you can turn in your Bibles there. You can also scroll on your digital devices or follow along on the screen. Verse number 19 says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. This description would have told the original readers that this person was crazy rich. Like the language that's used. And, and, and verse number 20 says, And at this gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. And so we have this rich man and we have this poor man named Lazarus who the scripture continues says was covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. When you were this kind of rich, the way that you would wash your hands at the end of a meal was to take a loaf of bread and you would wash your hands that way the crumbs would fall onto the plate or would fall to the ground. And as an act of mercy or an act of generosity, those crumbs would be given to the dogs. And the poor man is out on the street and he's just saying, look, can I please, can I please just have some of the crumbs of the bread that you washed your hands with after the meal? Verse 22 continues with describing what happens to them after this life. It says, the poor man died and was carried to the, by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, so let's stop there for a minute. What is Hades? Hades is the Greek word in the New Testament that's equivalent to the, to the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, which is Sheol. So Hades and Sheol are the same place, and neither one of those is hell. Some of you are confused. We're going to break it down. That's why we're doing this series. Hades and Sheol are not hell. And if you're reading through certain translations in the Old Testament, you'll come across this word Sheol again and again. And Hades is the same thing as Sheol, but it's not the same as hell. So what is Hades? Hades is evidently a temporary place after life on earth before the judgment where people with Christ, without Christ, go. We actually read later in scripture that Hades is actually thrown into hell. And so what exactly is Hades? We can't, can't tell you specifically. Scripture would make a case that it's a temporary place, again, for those who are without Christ. And obviously, as we read the scripture, it's a place that none of us want to go to. 
None of us want to be there. So as we look back to verse number 23, being in torment, he was hurting. This man lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Evidently, the rich man is in Hades and there's some kind of chasm where he can see across. There's this gap and on the far side of the other is something much more pleasant. Abraham's side is what it's called. And verse number 24 says, the rich man called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Last week, we saw that as followers of Jesus, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. For those who are without Christ, to be absent from the body is the beginning of unspeakable torment. Hell in the Bible is called a fiery furnace. It's called burning sulfur. It's a place that described where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. You'll hear people joke about going to hell and how there's going to be a great party there and they can't wait to be there with their friends. It appears that while hell might be populated, it won't feel like a real party. Hell appears to be a place of isolation. It's called outer darkness where there's no light. It's a place of no hope, and the angel in Revelation 14 described what will happen to those who are separated from Christ. In verse number 10 of Revelation 14, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he'll be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. It sounds horrible. The Greek word translated as hell is not the word Hades. Remember, that's a temporary place. The Greek word translated as hell is the word Gehenna. This word comes from the valley of Hinnom, which is a very real place. And Jesus used this word multiple times, reflecting a place that was south of Jerusalem where they would burn waste in sewage and flesh. And the fire outside of town, they would, would, burn, they would burn their dead animals and the dead bodies of criminals in human waste. The fire was always smoldering with maggots and worms and burning flesh, and the smell would have been beyond sickening. And so what is hell? It, according to Scripture, it's a nonstop eternal fire with torturous suffering and unending pain. One commentary called hell, the land of no more good and said there's no more beauty, no more laughter, no more peace, no more friendship, no more joy, no more hope, and no more second chances. This is why the rich man cries out from Hades and he cries out to Abraham. In verse number 27 and 28, he says, then I beg you, Father Abraham, to send him to my father's house. He says, I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. This passage gives us four lessons that are essential for us to understand. And the first one is this, the rich man was fully conscious and fully aware. He was fully conscious and fully aware. He has a memory of what's going on on earth. He cries out for uh, Father Abraham to go tell his brothers so that they won't experience the same fate. He's aware of what he did do and what he didn't do. He's experiencing very real physical pain. Perhaps the worst pain for him may have uh, gone beyond the physical. It might have gone to the fact of of regret that he couldn't go back and change what was going to happen from then on out. The second thing that we learn is the rich man's eternal destiny was irrevocably fixed. 
There was nothing that he could do to change where he was. He couldn't reverse it. And it, and, and it just recognized what it was going to be like for him. The third thing that we see is the rich man knew that his suffering was just. While he complained about the pain, he never complained about the injustice. He said it hurts really bad, but he didn't say God isn't fair. Evidently, he came to some realization that he didn't believe what he was supposed to believe. He didn't do what was expected of him. He didn't live how he was supposed to live. And he just accepted the judgment even though it was very painful for him. The fourth lesson that we see is the rich man begged and pleaded for someone to help his brothers know Jesus. He pleaded that someone would go back there and tell them about the goodness and the grace, the beauty and forgiveness that's available to them. There's so many that are on the wide road. The rich man thought that he was okay, but he wasn't. He, he didn't understand, and now he has a different perspective, and he begs, please, someone, go tell them. Why are we talking about something so difficult this morning? Because what we believe about eternity impacts how we live today. And if the devil can convince you that there's no hell, then you'll easily just live for today. You'll do whatever you want. You'll justify your sin. You'll reject Christ and live with no real fear of God. For followers of Jesus, if the devil can convince you there's no hell or put eternity in the back of your mind, then you'll live ridiculously self-centered lives. You'll idolize comfort, reject sacrifice, and avoid persecution. You'll fall in love with this world and believe it is all that matters. If he can convince you of this, you'll rarely share your faith with those who don't know God. And I know what some of you are thinking this morning, and it's not because I'm the type of God that's on an airplane going to put my hand up against your head and tell you what you're thinking. But just naturally, I would imagine that there are some of you who are saying, I don't want to believe in a God like this, a God who would send good people to hell. This is the fundamental breakdown of where our society is today. In fact, this may be the number one root problem in misbelief about our nature and about God, because God doesn't send good people to hell. We have to understand inherently by nature we're not good. And I know this goes against everything that culture teaches us, but our hearts are wicked. If for a moment we could stand in the holiness and the presence of God, we would recognize the depth of our wickedness. We're not inherently good people by nature. We have inherited a sin nature. We are bent towards sin. I'll just tell you that this morning, some of you checked your kids into the early childhood rooms where we have tremendous volunteers who've gone through background checks. They've been trained and they are qualified to do what they're doing today. Can I tell you what's not happening in there? None of those teachers are having to teach your children how to be sinful. Right? They're not in there going, I bet your parents didn't teach you this at home, so I'm going to teach you a lesson right here. Here's what's going to happen, kid. I'm going to take your toy. And when I take your toy, I want you to yell as loud as you possibly can, mine, and while you're yelling mine, why don't you hit me? Right, nobody has to teach your kids that because they're born with a sin nature. As angelic as your children are, we're born with a sin nature. So we have to recognize this about God, that he is holy and he's just and he can't be holy if he's not just. 
He's also love. Love is not just what he does. Love is who he is. And so I want to take some time and read some verses that for some of you are going to be very familiar. Now I pray that this morning that the familiarity won't be, that you won't miss the, the potency of these scriptures because of their familiarity. And I hope that for those of you who've not heard these verses, that today as you hear these verses, that they'll penetrate your heart, that they'll pierce your heart, and that today it'll speak to you to become a follower of Jesus. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God's provided a way. In Romans chapter 6, verse number 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Watch in Romans chapter 5 how God shows his love to us. Verse number 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. What did Jesus' death and resurrection do? It paid the price for our sins, satisfying God's justice and simultaneously displaying his amazing grace and inexhaustible love. Jesus said that if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and 99 stay and one goes away, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. That's how good God is. And some of you need to hear this morning that God is coming for you. And on this side of eternity, God's not coming for you out of judgment. He's coming for you out of mercy so that you could experience his salvation, so that you could experience his grace and his mercy. It's not coming in judgment, he's coming in love. And he's given you a chance this side of eternity to be in relationship with him so you don't have to face his judgment. God's desire is that none would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. Jesus didn't come for the perfect, he came for the sinner. We contrast the description of Jesus with Satan as a thief and a liar in John chapter 10, verse number 10. Reads, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is why we want people to know Jesus. Not just to avoid the horrors of hell, but to experience his grace, his goodness, his power, his love, his mercy, his holiness, the righteousness, and the love of God. Why do we talk about hell? Because what we believe about eternity impacts how we live today. And if we don't understand the horrors of hell, we'll never truly appreciate the goodness and the the grace of the price that God paid by sending his son so that we could have eternal life. I'm gonna ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and And you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. And you say, today, I want to move from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. I want to be on the path to heaven and not the path 
to hell. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but for whatever reason, you've turned your back on him. And you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to my maker. Just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three, lift them up all across this room. Thank you, I see that hand. You can put it down. Are there others this morning? Two, three, are there others this morning? Let's all stand. There were at least three hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. And know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you raise your hand, we want to encourage you in the decision that you've made today, in the journey that God wants to take you on. We'd ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Again, if you would text the word yes to 319 319- Two five zero eight nine nine eight. We leave time at the end of each of our services for people to receive prayer. In just a moment, the prayer team is going to make their way to both sides of the stage. And if you've come here today needing prayer for anything, I'd encourage you to step out of your seat and come forward. So appreciate what Tyler shared earlier in the service. We sang this song this morning that God hasn't brought us this far to leave us here. And it was fun to be able to partner with Tyler over the last three months, so great that he was the one taking the test and not me. I had the easy part and many of you had the easy part of just praying and God brought him through. But maybe some of you are at a crossroads this morning. Maybe some of you are at a place where you need to realize that God hasn't brought you this far to leave you where you're at and you just need an extra boost to, to keep on going and to make it to, to that next thing. I would encourage you to come forward and let somebody pray for you about that. So I'm gonna pray over us. Prayer team's gonna make their way up here. Worship team's gonna lead us in a song. And if you come here today needing prayer for anything, I'd encourage you to step out of your seat and come forward. God, we thank you so much for your goodness. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. That it's dependable. And what we read, we can believe. And so God, I pray for those this morning that maybe bristled at, at your word, that they would recognize that and in their hearts say, God, what is that? Lord, would you deal with my heart about this? Would you let me believe your words are true and that you're trustworthy and that you're good? God, as we think about the reality of eternity, may it impact how we live today. May we be interruptible. 
May we be inconvenienced. God, would you help us lean more towards sacrifice than comfort? Lord, in our hearts individually, in our church, in our community, would you send a revival? Lord, would you draw hearts that are far from you to you? And as a church, will you help us to be ready? God, would you anoint us and empower us as we walk out of these four walls today to share your gospel with people. Lord, that their eternities would be changed, that they wouldn't be on a path of destruction and wrath and hell any longer, but instead they would be on a path of blessing to one day spend an eternity in heaven. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.